Hey guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode number 163. So we've got a lot of great questions to answer today. And on those weeks, we don't upload episodes, which is occasionally. If uh, you're dying to listen to a podcast, make sure you head over and subscribe to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast, where I am one of the four hosts there. I'm sure many of you guys already listen to it. But on that podcast, we're also joined by Lawrence Grieve, also known as General Muscle on Instagram, Daniel Yates, and Daniel Chappelle as well. So we are the episode format is very similar to our episodes combined, where we do a kind of recap of our past weeks, and we also answer some Q&A questions, not just related to bodybuilding, but nutrition and training lifestyle, all of that stuff. It's a little bit more laid back than uh, what we do on here. So yeah, make sure you head over there and subscribe. I'm sure Tiara will attest to enjoying those episodes. Absolutely. I look forward to every Wednesday morning because the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast, I feel like it's the perfect combination of bodybuilding, bro chats, and banter. So Definitely some good listens there. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So we're going to start off with question number one today, which is thoughts on glutamine supplementation. Yeah, so we do have a few thoughts on glutamine supplementation because I think it's just another one of those supplements that is way overhyped in the health and fitness industry. And it kind of ties back to the rationale behind taking it. It's a nice idea in theory, but unfortunately, it doesn't really go down mm. in practice. Similar to L-carnitine. Yeah, exactly. So glutamine, it is an amino acid. It's actually the most abundant amino acid in the entire body. And the cool thing about glutamine is that it's actually available in basically every single food group. So you can get glutamine from vegetables. You can get glutamine from lean protein sources, dairy, grains, legumes. So even if you had a very obscure diet and you were excluding certain food groups, you'd still probably be getting glutamine from somewhere, even if you were just eating Twinkies. (laughs) But if you do have a diet that just consists of Twinkies, you know. (laughs) You got bigger problems. Exactly, you got bigger things to worry about than, oh God, I ran out of my glutamine supplement. (laughs) But it is the most abundant amino acid in the body. And the rationale behind taking glutamine supplements is that it can help boost your gut health, it can help boost your immune system, it helps with muscle hypertrophy. And again, in theory, yes, glutamine, it is involved in regulating your immune system. It does help with the intestinal walls within your gut lining. And in cases where you're like severely physically traumatized, like if Jack unfortunately got caught in a house fire and had fourth degree burns or you know, I was just going for... Such, I thought it went up to three, third degree. Oh God. No, you are you're burnt. You are crisp. <laughs> you are crisp. And that's why I just need to like pour some glutamine down you. <laughs> Shower you in the stuff. But, or, you know, if, if I was to go out in a dark alley late at night and get stabbed and then end myself up in the hospital, then yeah, if I took some high dose glutamine, that might help actually with repairing those tissues. But once again, if you're in that sort of situation, 
muscle hypertrophy, you know, and taking a glutamine supplementation probably isn't at the top of your priority list. So it's really just in severe cases where you are very physically traumatized, something or awful. Or muscle wasting occurs, such as diseases. Yeah. So in a disease state. So it's not an essential amino acid because it is so prevalent, but it's conditionally essential, which means that if you are in a disease state, then yes, having some glutamine supplements could help. Yeah, I think also an important consideration is that it is found in very high levels in whey and casein mm. protein, which the majority of people consume anyway. And even if you don't mm. consume whey and casein supplements, like whey and casein, particularly casein, is found in high amounts in dairy products. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that 90 percent plus of the listeners would consume either whey or casein or dairy i would imagine so you're probably eating something you know even mm. broccoli's got a bit of glutamine in it <laughs> but i think also just tying it back to the whole you know reasoning why people take it as a gut health supplement is because yes the cells within our intestinal lining they actually do use glutamine as a fuel source but once again, if it's so abundant in the human body and you're eating food with glutamine in it, then the cells within your gut, you know, they're fine. They're doing their thing. It almost ties back to, Jack, you know that meme where the swimmer is like pouring Gatorade all over his face? Mm. And it's like an individual who's consuming 200 grams of protein per day who's supplementing with BCAAs. It kind of ties back to that. It's like, there's no point in overfilling a pool. I think he was. I think he was pouring water on his head, not Gatorade. Oh, I thought it was. It was some sort of liquid. Mm. But either way, it makes the point that it's he's redundant. Already, yeah, <laughs> he's already in a pool. Yes, so. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're wet. You're good. You got glutamine in your body. Spend your money on something else. Mm. Yeah, I honestly don't have too much else to add. I think the same kind of rationale can be can be given to a lot of other supplements as i alluded to l-carnitine is often one which if you are deficient in l-carnitine then yes supplementing with it will help aid in fat loss but the majority the vast majority of us already have adequate l-carnitine levels in the body Mm -hmm. so it's not going to aid in any further fat loss yeah and if you guys are ever questioning hmm you know is this supplement actually worth taking or is this a little bit too good to be true the best resource that we can actually recommend is just doing a Google search for examine.com. So you can type in glutamine, examine.com, BCAs, examine.com, any supplement. Or you for, can head to their website, examine.com. <laughs> go over to examine.com. It's free, fantastic content. They're regularly updating it with all the newest research, you know, emerging in that area so that they have a good evidence base behind it to say, yes, this is viable. And they, you know, grade it on the degree of evidence and everything. It's incredibly comprehensive. So if you are ever questioning anything about supplements or you just want to learn a little bit more, just Google search that specific supplement for examine.com. It's an awesome resource. Yeah, I use it regularly yeah. along with Google Scholar, but Google Scholar is a little bit more difficult to uh distinguish the biases of particular research Mm -hmm. i agree yeah and by the way not sponsored just (laughs) we just really appreciate examine.com all right jack we're going to move on to this next question now this one was quite detailed but i'll read it out 
It says, how important is it to stick to the exact same workout program week in, week out? Is it true that the best exercise for muscle hypertrophy is whichever exercise you'll do? And I really think this kind of just ties back to, you know, that whole idea of the best plan is the one that you can consistently adhere to. Mm. Yeah, that whole notion. Yeah, and... I mean, it's one of those answers where it really just depends on the individual and and what they're trying to achieve. And I think the key word here is optimality. Like if someone is a bodybuilder like me and you, they have very high bodybuilding goals. And in order to achieve them, then it makes sense to kind of maximize the one percenters. And for us, mixing up our programs every like for us it's not even a consideration that we're not going to do the movement so this question wouldn't really apply to us but it wouldn't be optimal for Mm. for someone like you and me to to switch up movements regularly and to switch up the order of movements Mm -hmm. within the session regularly as well at least if you have specific goals so it just ties back to if you have specific goals you need to do specific things Mm. even if those specific things might be deemed as monotonous you know or very challenging and tough Mm. that's what makes them fun in the long run but also like is your goal to maximize muscle hypertrophy and are you going in the gym with the intent to train or are you just going to the gym with the intent to exercise Mm. because those are two very different things and by all means if you just want to get some exercise in then by all means like you know switch things up but If you really want to train and really want to significantly change your body composition in the long term, then yeah, you got to do it with a high degree of structure. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's like our podcast is called The Bodybuilding Dietitians, but not all of our listeners bodybuild. So I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who just go to the gym to like have a good time, exercise, as you mentioned. For them, no, it wouldn't really matter if you're switching things up regularly because you're still going to achieve the benefits of exercise and the health benefits of exercise without like sure it won't be as optimal for hypertrophy but there are plenty of other benefits to exercise other than hypertrophy of course and i guess the the rationale as to why is because each exercise that we do even something like a bicep curl has a skill acquisition component and it has a a certain degree of neurological adaptation associated with that movement. So even if you don't even think about getting better at the movement itself, like some people might just head into the gym, do a tricep push down and week after week, they they just do it. And they're not kind of critiquing their form. They're not showing people videos about how to get better. Regardless of that, your, your body is going to get more efficient and better at the movement sometimes not even not in the right way like it'll your body or your brain will intentionally make a movement more efficient to lift more load or to progress for example like an obvious one is reducing the range of motion but there will also be a certain degree of skill acquisition just through doing it week after week Mm -hmm. without necessarily focusing on it too much skill acquisition but also just the mental toll that actually it takes to really go there for some of those big movements like the headspace that you have to get yourself in at least once you've trained yourself to train with a very high level of intensity you have to get yourself into a certain zone and that in itself like hyping yourself up visualizing the movement anticipating the movement like preparing yourself for that lift that alone can take a lot out of you 
And that's why I think it's really important to push those big movements first in the workout when you're mentally the most fresh, the most prepared to really tackle it. Because otherwise, if you put them, you know, toward the end of the workout, like if you were to go try to do, you know, your top set of RDLs at the very end of a leg workout, yeah, right, man, as if you would perform as well, Mm. right? And you could justify it by saying, oh, you know, the RP was still high because, you know, I was fatigued, but I still went close to failure, you know, like just mentally by that point, like you're shortchanging yourself, You're, you're just spent. And The literature does support this. They say that if you want to get better at something, if you want to get stronger at something, and you want that to translate into more muscle hypertrophy, put those exercises first on your program, like really prioritize them. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think I've tried in the past, like doing even like a set of a few sets of adductors, a few sets of leg extension prior to hack squat. And I did that when I first signed up with my coach, AJ, and I just didn't like it. And I was honest with him about that because I'd get to the hack squat. And even though I was, I'd only been in the gym for like half an hour and they weren't even very taxing movements. Like there was part of my psychology or my mental readiness to do the hack squat was lowered essentially Mm -hmm. because I'd already been not not really physically fatigued but mentally fatigued to give the hack squatters its usual amount of energy Mm -hmm. yeah i'm the same well like the furthest that i'll go is that i'll do like some lateral raises or some rear delt flies or like some hip abductions like i'll superset three sets of each of those like prior to me getting into my compound movements on some days during my program but i've experimented with that and luckily i find that that doesn't take a mental toll on me if anything it's a somewhat of a a an efficient (laughs) warm-up for me but like it's not something close to like even a leg extension which people call an isolation movement right but in bodybuilding there's that argument there's no such thing as an isolation i feel like going hard on three sets of leg extension would take much more of a toll on you than doing like some rear delt flies or some hip abductions (laughs) Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. I think another thing to take into account as well is that in terms of the exercise order, obviously fatigue is going to play a role in how you perform in each movement. And it's just really difficult to quantify and track your progress if every single week you're just flipping things around and doing things in different exercise orders because of course like fatigue is going to accumulate across the session and let's say that an exercise that you'd normally do fourth on your program if you then all of a sudden do that first you're going to be like oh my god you know I got quite a few extra reps on this exercise or I was able to go up by 2.5 kilograms on my you know my dumbbell chest press or something But then the other movements that you've then swapped around, it's like, oh God, like that really took a performance hit. So like mentally that can take a toll on you too, because you can feel like, oh God, like I'm regressing or you can't quantify the long-term progress either, Jack. Yeah, I agree. It's, which is probably another reason to keep it consistent. Mm -hmm. But would you say that there may be a line, like, let's say that you have six to seven exercises on your program. I'd say like generally the way that at least we program and structure things is like compound movements first and then the more isolated muscle groups toward the end of the session. 
I think that it's probably a top priority that you're doing those compound movements always in the same order every single session, even if you've got to work in with someone else on the Smith machine, you know what I mean? (laughs) But it's the final few exercises at the end of the session where, yeah, you know, you can be a little bit more flexible with those. Like maybe you can like swap around your calves and your abs, or you can like superset those or even leg extension and leg curl. Like, is it really going to make that big of a difference whether you do, you know, leg extension before leg curl or vice versa? Yeah, it would, in my opinion, mm. uh, once you get to a certain degree. Yeah. Like for me, it would. If I finish my RDLs and then do leg curl after that instead of leg extension, yeah. then yes, I'm going to be weaker mm-hmm. in the leg curl than I usually would be. But let's say you did RDLs and then you did leg press and then you did hip thrusts in between. And then you've got the choice to do leg extension mm. or leg curl. Yeah, it probably wouldn't make as much difference. Mm. And... It really, I, I hate saying this on the podcast, but it, it just does depend who mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. And it depends. Like if, for example, if you train suboptimally throughout the whole session, it wouldn't matter about any of that because mm. you, you've got bigger priorities than your order of exercises. You've just got to, you like, you've got to literally increase the load by 50% because mm-hmm. you're not training hard enough. Yeah, I mm. agree. Yeah. So there's, I guess this is an example of maybe a small rock and there's much bigger boulders that people probably should be addressing first regardless um, before they look at the the smaller rocks and then the pebbles Mm -hmm. and then the grains of sand. Yeah. I just know that at least with the clients that I work with, I really admire and love when they give me context behind the numbers. Like for example, some people train at peak hours Mm. times of the gym and we are pretty fortunate that we choose to not train at that time. But I understand if you're training a commercial gym and you rock up and you know, there's literally a line for the Smith machine or there's like, you know, everyone kind of wants certain pieces of equipment, especially if there's only one and you're like, oh man, I'm on a tight schedule. Like I don't have time to wait around and these people are actually kind of rude and they literally won't let me work in with them. How, how rude is that? When you, when you ask someone who's just sitting on a machine, you're like, hey, you know, can I share this with you? Or hey, can I work in with you? And they're like, no, I got four sets left. Because <laughs> um, I'm someone who will just ask. Like I'll go up to someone and, and just too. ask like, how, how can I work in with you? How many sets do you have left? And like, I'm, I'm surprised when people say, no, sorry, I've just got two more sets or mm. something like, why? <laughs> Why not just say yes? Like Sharing is caring, man. It's as simple as just taking a pin out and then putting it into a different weight. Like, yeah. Especially if it, the pin-loaded movements. Mm. And the worst is when someone is like not even exerted and someone is literally just sitting on the machine, like mm. on their phone. Well, to be fair, that could be me. Like just because I... I like rest times. Yeah. I'll probably be a bit sweatier. But, but at least you're quite kind and you would let someone mm, else hop I would on the always, machine. Yeah. The, the one time I did ask this dude on a cable machine, I was like, hey, how many sets do you have left? And he's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was like, he was like so standoffish that like one, I, I, obviously he wasn't following a program if he didn't even know how many sets he had or like what he was doing at that cable machine. Um, but he, he was basically straight up, he was like, I don't know. And he, he just wouldn't let me work in with him. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. I won't associate myself with you. Um, but the last thing I just wanted to mention too is just 
the mental fatigue, right? And the mental toll. And obviously how long you can actually be switched on and productive in the gym. And like psychology research around productivity time, like there is kind of this sweet spot. And it shows that for most human beings, the maximum amount of time that you can dedicate yourself to a specific task and be really productive is 90 minutes. So if you are then pushing things toward the end of your workout, and I know you and I are in the gym for more than 90 minutes, but if you take a big compound movement that requires a hell of a lot of your just focus and you then push that past like that 90 minute mark or close to, again, you're just shortchanging yourself because I'd almost argue you'd probably just hit mental fatigue before you actually hit true muscular fatigue. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be slightly different for working out because maybe that the specifics of that study that was undertaken is mm. more so for very direct things. Yeah, usually like, you, like studying. Mm, or you could say that maybe one exercise for 90 minutes as opposed to the whole session. <laughs> I don't think it would apply to 90 minutes of a, of a workout. But naturally, there would be a decline, I think, in obviously from the start to the end. Yeah. Well, I think we did that question pretty good justice, but we'll move on to this final question for the day. And it says, what are your thoughts on being 100% ready at peak conditioning for your first show of the season? Yeah, I like this question a lot. And it's interesting because again, it depends on who you are. And I think a lot of coaches really sort of are very proactive in terms of yeah, I'm, I'm going to get everyone absolutely peeled for show one of the season. And it's almost like a marketing point for them. And I think the way I see it, and this applies to my own sort of journey as well, which I have no doubt I'll um, chat with AJ about as well. well I, I know he kind of has a similar mindset because he's he's prepping people for different shows that have like a qualifier and then a finals, etc. And that's how it works in the UK. Like you have a qualifying show and then you qualify for finals with UK DFBA. Other federations might be different. And then in, in the UK, I believe if you win the entire show, the overall men's bodybuilding, you get a pro card with that federation. Or alternatively, you can compete in, in IMBA shows to get an IMBA pro card at certain quali- pro card worthy shows. And... In Australia, it's similar, like for ICN. Like, I think we'll fairly exclusively talk about ICN here, even though the other Australian federations pretty much work the same, where you have your local shows or your state shows, like I guess ICN Tropics would be a local show, and then the Brisbane Classic would be a state show. Um, and then you would qualify for nationals, which is just the top five in any sort of category, really. And then from there, you would go on to nationals, do the open class, And then if you win your open class at nationals, there might be one, there might be two, there might be three open classes. Each of those winners of the open class would get a pro card. And then you go into the overall um, to see who is like Mr. Bodybuilding or Miss Figure, et cetera, for Mm. Australia. And I think ultimately the the key consideration in prep is like every athlete has like a, a window in terms of where they'll look their best. And the reason why it's a fairly short window is because we don't have the luxury of, I guess, drugs to kind of prolong that window and and kind of achieve a cosmetic look for as long as we want or for an extended duration. We're kind of at the mercy of our, our hormones, our naturally occurring hormones, and we can't add in or, or remove certain things to, to make them too different. Like we're at the mercy of nutrition and training and, and how we can modulate those. So I think what I'm, what I'm saying, I'm being super long-winded, 
but if if there's like a four or five week gap between your local show where you come absolutely skin peeled in uh, i believe the term is dick skin yeah lean. i wasn't sure whether to say that and <laughs> i'll say it for us <laughs> and then let's say there's a five week gap until nationals which isn't uncommon so a four or five week gap like you could have what are you going to do like literally just maintain that conditioning mm. which i think for some people if they try to do that maybe they could try reversing but the thing is like even if you start reversing you you're potentially going downhill anyway because mm. you're you're not going to recover your hormones until you actually start putting on body fat mm. not not even necessarily body weight if you stay a, a similar body fat mm. um so yeah that's my argument and i, I think I guess my overall answer is in, to me, it makes more sense to pick someone. So they look their absolute best for, for the nationals. If, if you're someone who is aiming for that pro card, mm-hmm. if you're someone who is just rocking up to the local show or state show and not planning to do nationals, then sure. It makes sense to look your best mm-hmm. for that single show. Yeah. And it's called a peak for a reason, you know, mm. you can't have like, yes, you have peak weeks, but related to any other sport, like you peak deliberately at a very specific time point for the most important event of that sporting season. So for example, you don't have Olympic athletes running Olympic finalist times in their warm-up meets. So it's the exact same kind of for bodybuilding, but it's just that differentiation between just because you haven't peaked 100% at your absolute best, which we know is a a fraction of a time that you can actually hold that look that doesn't mean that you show up to the other shows looking out of shape like Mm. when people say you will be ready by the first show like Mm. by guaranteed like yes you will be able to stand on that stage and look like you belong there and you will have a very impressive physique to present you won't be out of shape (laughs) but it just means that show to show to show you will just make the slightest little improvement so you can just come with in with that little bit of extra detail you know and just Mm. improving show to show and it's not always just your physique that improves too like they say there's no better experience than stage experience you are going to learn things from every single show that you do and every single time that you step on stage every single division that you enter into like i would hope that you could critique yourself in some way and be like okay like i was great but how can I be even better? And, you know, people generally do actually look better between shows just because they've kind of shaken off those nerves, you know, and they they just relax. And a nice, relaxed, happy, confident physique, like it, it does do something to the body. It does do something to your overall look. The way that you present yourself too in terms of your posing, like there's so many different ways that you can keep improving between shows. And that that's the ultimate goal so that you can truly bring your absolute best to the final show of the season. Mm. Yeah, as you said, like it's not, I think automatically people think about conditioning, but it's also about different peak weeks you might trial mm-hmm. as well. Um, posing, as you said, and stage presence in general. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not everyone has the luxury of pr- improving from show to show as well. Some people might fight tooth and nail to actually achieve some resemblance of proper stage conditioning for nationals. And they're mm-hmm. making the most of every single time they have. I think it's really only certain um, level competitors who 
can actually or have a coach who can control things to that degree mm-hmm. um like i'm sure you know what i'm talking about there absolutely mm. but yeah it just because you won't be at your absolute best for your first show when nationals is still like five weeks away once again that doesn't mean that you're not going to be ready that doesn't mean that you're not going to look absolutely fantastic but mm. both you and i can speak from experience in that you reach a point in prep where, where you're like i feel like i'm holding on to the edge of a cliff by my fingertips like it's Mm. there's not much longer until i slip and i need to start eating some more food (laughs) or you you literally just you start to fade away and how sad would that be to bring your absolute best package to the icn tropics show and you're like wow this person looked absolutely incredible but then five weeks later like by nationals time when they actually have an opportunity to win their pro card they've just kind of like lost that pop, Mm. right? And they've just kind of faded away and wilted away. And you can see it in someone's smile too when they're smiling, but it's they don't quite have that sparkle in their eyes Mm. or their smile's not quite peeking up, right? It's like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've even seen some competitors become absolutely peeled for the the local and state shows and they, they don't, they just can't continue to nationals. They yeah. choose to stop. Like one competitor stands out to me from this past uh, season A. Obviously, mm-hmm. I won't mention who they are, but I was surprised that they didn't do nationals because they would have done, they probably would have got a pro card at nationals. You're absolutely right. It's not even just your physique. It's mm. it's a huge mental game. It's yeah. like, how long can I actually keep going? Mm. Boy, that's a good point to make too. So yeah, don't burn out before you actually do have a chance to really deliver your best because mm. there is a specific day for that. Unfortunately, just because you're in a certain condition, you can't bring the date forward for everyone else. Yeah, because I mean, some people would almost use achieving their final form as motivation because like if you get to the first show and you're at like 90% and then the second show 95%, mm. then there's part of you, I'm sure, which will use that as motivation to be like, okay, this final show, I'm gonna bring 100%. Mm-hmm. Cause like 90% is still nine out of 10. Yeah. You still look amazing. But for example, in a bodybuilder, it might be something as simple as like your glute striations from the back at show number one, you see some faint lines. Show number two, they're pretty well and truly in. Show, show number three, like you've achieved some great fullness on top mm-hmm. of that or something. Something simple like that. Yeah, great example. Well, hopefully that answers that question. But final question we'll finish on for today, Jack, is one thing that we learned this week. Yeah, so just quickly, I learned that it pays to, well, it does pay um, in the literal sense, but it also uh, pays very well to get removalists to do the majority of the work for you (laughs) since we've just moved house. Yes, that is true. Luckily, both of our lower backs are still intact. Mm. But yeah, man, like, oh, the, just the, the amount of work that goes into moving out of a house and moving into a new house. But I can only imagine, like, imagine if that was your job, Jack, on a daily basis, like just lugging around furniture up and down staircases. (laughs) I would literally pray for your back and your Mm. spine. (laughs) I think I would be out of work uh, more than I would be working. Mm -hmm. And you got to ask yourself, you're like, how much would I ask someone to pay me to mm. do all this work? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it is freaking physical labor. Should we say how much it costs? Uh, we did <laughs> We did give them a tip and it also was a public holiday. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. it was a tiny house. Like it, 
I can't imagine people with like a five bedroom home. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be expensive. That I don't even know if you could do that all in one day. Yeah. But again, what's the alternative? You know, are yeah. you going to find your friend with a pickup truck and are you literally going to do a hundred loads and like probably lose that friend to the hospital because <laughs> they're going to break their back? Like, nah, man, just just fork it out and like get other people to do the work. Mm. Mm. But obviously you can still help. We, of course, carried some things, but we definitely I carried the dogs <laughs> Carried the dogs and, you know, some heavy boxes. But we certainly didn't carry like a freaking couch up and mm. down like three flights of stairs. what did you learn well what i learned this past week is that when they neuter a dog they actually remove the balls and they keep the sack as a souvenir our special vet vet, they they did boston a favor you know they let him keep a little bit of his manhood but boston he's almost two years old you know it's time to get the snip because he was getting a little bit rowdy with that snout (laughs) so yeah we did get him de-sexed and when he came home i was like oh my god did they actually do the procedure like he still had his ball sack but Mm. it turns out that they just and if anything that makes sense it's it's probably a smaller procedure it's less likely to injure them long term if they can just do a little incision somehow take out the crown jewels sew it back up and uh maybe it's like they hardly even notice anything's gone Mm. yes i'm not sure (laughs) <laughs> what was going through his head but i'm sure that he was i'm a... sure he was having some lovely <laughs> dreams <laughs> yeah well that's it from us guys thanks very much for listening hope you enjoyed this one if you did make sure to take a screenshot post it on your instagram story tag myself tag tiara tag tbd leave us a lovely five star review or rating if you so desire and we'll catch you guys soon for the next one <laughs>